Every day, all the time, people are trying to lead us in different ways. That might be through advertising that we are trying to be led to purchase something. We are being led to go somewhere and do something by businesses. You are being attempted to be led in your work. Your boss may want you to perform in a certain way or to do something. There might be some goals that are intended to be achieved and you are trying to be led to that place. If you are in school or have been in school, we have teachers that are trying to lead us and to help us. If you are a teacher, you are trying to do that with other people. We are being led all the time. That might even just be by parents or friends or a spouse that says, have you thought about kind of changing in this way? Or could you do this? Or could you work on this? We're always constantly being led to something. And what we have to do is evaluate that. And that's what we're constantly doing. We're evaluating, is that good for me? Do I want to do that? Should I do that? What would the cost be if I do that? What will I have to give up? What are the challenges? What's in it for me if I do that? We have to evaluate all the messages that we receive of attempting to be led somewhere. And the same thing is true with God. God is attempting to lead us to places in our life. God is attempting to take your life and move it in a certain direction. We want that. We want God to work in us. We want God to change us. We want God to lead us from where we are to different places. I don't know where in your life God is speaking to you right now. That may be through the Bible. That may be through on a Sunday. It might be through a Christian friend that is saying, this is the direction that God has for you. We're called to encourage one another and challenge one another. That might be just in your spirit. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You feel him speaking to you and drawing you. And listen, there's no age limit on that. That's not like God just does that for people that are I don't, right in the center, 35 Maybe if you are five years old or if you are in your 70s, it doesn't matter. God is leading all of us all the time to a place that he desires to take us. And yet, we evaluate. Just like all the other messages that we receive, we evaluate. Maybe not consciously. Sometimes it's consciously. We think about, okay, do I want to do that? I heard what was said in the Bible. Do I want to do that? Is that good for me? Do I agree with that? What's the cost of that? What would I have to give up? What would I have to change? Sometimes it's conscious, but a lot of times it's unconscious. We just hear where God is leading us, and we don't necessarily sit down and kind of write a pro-con list. We just feel something, uh, and then we make decisions. We evaluate either consciously or unconsciously, where God is leading us, where anybody is leading us. And there are many reasons to resist. There's a lot of reasons. And you know this. Whether, again, whether consciously or unconsciously, there's a lot of reasons that we resist where God is leading us. There's a lot of things that come up in our minds and we say, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I should go with that. It can be fear. We're afraid of what might happen. It can be a fear of God. We're not sure what God will do. It can be just a fear of the unknown. What will happen if I make this choice? And if we can't line up all the dots and we can't figure it out exactly, then we're not sure that we actually want to go where God is leading us. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's just that we don't want to do wherever it is that wherever God is leading us. We don't want to do it. We don't want to go there. We, we know what we want for our life, and we don't want to go where God is leading us. Sometimes it's just we don't care. God might say things, and it's hard for us to even listen because we're, we don't really care. We're happy living our life. Sometimes it's just because we're busy. God is wanting to lead us in a certain direction. God is wanting to call us to a certain place, but we're busy. We have other things going on, so it's hard to listen, or it's hard to actually respond and follow. There can be a lot of reasons that we resist God's leadership in our life. 
many of them. Sometimes it's because we're afraid of being exposed. God might lead us to a place of confession. God might lead us to a place of vulnerability, and we're afraid of other people seeing what's there. There's a lot of reasons. You have your reasons. Maybe some are in your head. Maybe some have been covered here. But God wants to lead you. Today, God wants to lead you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. God wants to do that in our life. He wants you to experience life with him. He wants to lead you and experience different actions in a way of life. He wants to lead you and for your heart. Even, listen, you might go, man, my life, I'm doing exactly what God says. And yet, one of the things that we've talked about in the book of Zephaniah is that often while our actions might be going where God says, our hearts are far from him. God wants to lead your heart to him. He wants us to return. He wants to lead us to him and the life that he has for us, but oftentimes it's difficult. And oftentimes there's a list of reasons of why we resist. And so we need help. We need help. And part of that help comes as where we see where it is that he is intending to take us, where it is that he wants to take us. Why is it that he wants us to return? Why is it that he wants to lead us to this place? What are the goals that God has for you? If you think about your life right now and wherever it might be that God is stirring in you or through the Bible or Christian friendship conversations and there's areas that God is wanting to lead you, why? Why does he want to take you there? What are the goals that he has? What's the reasons of why he's calling us to move beyond? Why is he wanting to lead us to a certain place? This final chapter helps bring everything that we've talked about together. This final chapter helps us to see where it is that God is wanting to lead us from and where it is that God is wanting to lead us to. So that's what we're going to look at in the book, the final chapter of Zephaniah. Let's start with this question. What does God want to lead us from? And really, we've kind of spent two chapters looking at that. We've kind of spent two chapters digging in to what it is that God wants to lead us away from. And the beginning of chapter three kind of just summarizes all the things that have happened in chapter two. There is a call that God has to lead us to return to him, but from where? From what? It's not about your work, and it's not about just kind of what your spouse wants for you. It's, but God is wanting to take us from somewhere to somewhere. What is it that God is wanting to move us from? And in short, the answer is sin, but there's a variety of expressions of that. Let's read the beginning of this, and we'll see what it is that God wants to take us from. Woe to the city that is rebellious and defiled, the oppressive city. She has not obeyed. She has not accepted discipline. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. The princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves of the night, which leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary. They do violence to instruction. The righteous Lord is in her. He does no wrong. He applies his justice morning by morning. He does not fail at dawn. Yet the one who does wrong knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their corner towers are destroyed. I have laid wastes their streets with no one to pass through. Their cities lie devastated without a person, without an inhabitant. I said, you will certainly fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling place would not be cut off based on all that I had allocated to her. However, they became more corrupt in all their actions. Therefore, wait for me. This is the Lord's declaration. Until the day I rise up for plunder, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms in order to pour out my indignation on them, all my burning anger, for the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of my jealousy. Now, 
Where God wants to lead us from is sin, but there is a variety of expressions of that sin that we have talked about throughout the book, but he mentions kind of in summary form at the very beginning, just this line again. Think about these different things he says. She has not obeyed. She has not accepted discipline. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. This is kind of pulling together the various ways in which we sin. And let me just kind of hit these briefly. We, we disobey. That's part of what sin is, that we hear what God says and we don't do it. We hear what God says and we choose not to do it. Or we hear what God says to do and we don't do it. We disobey what God says. And it says after discipline and after correction, after many different chances and things that God has said, okay, you're not obeying, I'm going to give you correction, and then you should obey. Kind of after giving these consequences, after giving these additional chances, after saying, okay, you did it the wrong way, now you've gotten this consequences, now will you obey? After all of that, still not obeying. That often happens. In our life. And then he says that they have not trusted God or drawn near to God. I think that that is such a helpful point of Zephaniah because I don't want to break it so cleanly, but I think sometimes there's those of us that disobey. God calls us to certain things, God says to do certain things, and we don't do them. We disobey. And you might know those things. Or you might just be saying, eh, it doesn't really matter, it's fine. But there's kind of, again, a little simplistic, but there's a category of people that disobey God. But then there's another category, and oftentimes it's religious people. It's people that go to church. It's people that live a good life, that there's no outward disobedience. And yet, at a heart level, we don't really trust God. At a heart level, we don't draw near to God. You may have been a Christian for a very long time, and yet in reality, there's a coldness. In reality, there isn't a passion for God. There's not a sweetness with God. There's not, I really, my true confidence is in him. Your true confidence might be just in your ability to live a good life and be a good person. And so he calls out the disobedience, the resistance to discipline, but also those that don't draw near to God, those that don't trust God. God wants to lead us from that state, from that condition. Think about your life. Would you fall into one of those categories? Are there areas in your life that you know you are disobeying? God has called you to things or God has called you to stop things, but you continue are there areas in your life, maybe for you that have been Christians, where you just kind of feel cold? You don't actively draw near to God. Do you see any of that show up in your life? Where is your heart with God? Where are your actions and life with God? This is what God wants to lead us from. And every single one of us is guilty in some way. He calls out in this passage all the way from the leaders to just the everyday person, the princes and the prophets and the priests. It's not just something kind of for the rabble that really don't get it. He's calling out every, especially the leaders, but all earlier, just all the people, the whole city and nations, the world, that we are all guilty in various ways of wandering away from God. And God it's not okay with it. We are, as the song says, prone to wander. We sing that hymn at times. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's, that's all of us. And God is not okay with that. He doesn't want us to stay in that place. He wants to lead us away from that place. God's not okay with leaving the world or us in a place that goes away from him in sin and in self-confidence and not trusting him. God's not okay with that because he is a just God. He applies his justice morning by morning. He is the righteous Lord. Though we 
are far from him, though we are wicked and disobey, he is the righteous one. And so he's not okay with any of that. He brings justice every day. He is not okay with it because he is just and because at the end, and it has said this throughout the book of Zephaniah, he is jealous. Which, if you're new, I don't have time to explain fully this, but it's not jealous in a weird, kind of creepy way, but it's a right jealousy because we rightly belong to him. We are rightly his. He has created us. We are made for him. We belong to him. And so he is jealous for our whole life to belong to him. He's not okay with us or the world wandering from him because he is just and he is jealous. He is a just and jealous God. And so then when this was written, he dealt with it in his judgment that the people of God in Judah were exiled. The temple was completely destroyed. He, he did apply his justice. The day of the Lord came. And one day, this is a picture of what God will finally do in the world as well, that God's justice will come. He does not leave it. He is not okay with it, staying as us wandering from God. And in our life, he does that. At various times, various places, we may reap what we sow in our sin. God wants to lead us away from all of the things, all of the sin, all of the disobedience, all of the coldness, all of the not trusting in him. He wants to lead us away from that. He takes it seriously. He's not okay with it. His love compels him to not keep us where we are. Think about that. If you have someone that you love, you never want them to stay in a place that you know isn't good, that will harm them, that will hurt them. And God is the same. He says, I can't leave you there. I can't leave the world there. My love compels me to my justice, to my leadership. Does that mean it's easy in our life to just leave the things that God calls us away from? No. That's part of why this book is written. Is there such intensity and such calling and such passion and such kind of provocation because it's not easy to leave where God wants to lead us? This is what God wants to lead us from and in some ways is the recap of the last two chapters. But what is it that God is wanting to lead us to? Where does he want to take us? God isn't just saying stop, but he has a vision for your life. Where, wherever it is in your life right now that you know or feel God speaking to you, calling you, wherever it is that his word challenges you, wherever it is that the Holy Spirit has been stirring or through the voice of Christian brothers and sisters applying God's word to your life, wherever that is, why? What is it that God is wanting to lead you to? What's the vision? What's the goal? What's the end game that he's trying to take you to? Where is it? Why go with him is another way to ask that question. Why repent? Why return to him? Why leave where we are? Because we're comfortable where we are and we like where we are and we've chosen to be where we are. So what is it that God's trying to take us to? Where is he trying to lead us. We, we're constantly evaluating any kind of leadership in our life. We need reasons to follow. What is it that God is wanting to lead us to? Where is he wanting to take us? Here's what Zephaniah says next. And we'll just go through this kind of piece by piece. All the different things that Zephaniah says where God wants to lead us. The first is this, that he wants to give us a restored speech. And it says, for I will then restore pure speech to the peoples so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. This restoring of pure speech doesn't mean just I'm, I'm going to you know, not say any cuss words or something like that. The restoring of pure speech is a speech that calls on the name of the Lord. That's, that is the restoration of the speech. It is a speech that now is trusting God. It is words that flow from a heart that trusts in the name of the Lord and thus calls upon him and seeks him. 
and knows him and so engages in communication with him. See, one of the places that God is attempting to lead us is to have a heart that knows him, that desires him, that trusts him, that wants his voice in our life. God isn't just trying to stop you from doing certain things. He's wanting to bring us to a place where we call upon him, where we know that we need him, where we trust in him, and we can talk with him, and we can engage with him. Wouldn't it be better in your life if God was to work in you and lead you to a place where you had a trust and a confidence that you could talk to him and call upon him. My wife and I were traveling this week, and on the plane, there was some turbulence, and it was a little rough at one point, not anything crazy. We only lost one wing, but it was fine. Um, no, not really, but we, it, was a little, it was a little rough, but and I heard kind of this noise, like a... And I was like, what is going on? And I looked over, and there was this father holding... I don't know, maybe a two-year-old in his hands, and the two-year-old was just a little boy just snoring away. And I was like, man, that, that's a picture of this. That God is wanting to bring us to a place where we call on him, trust in him, feel safe and secure no matter what's going on. We're snoring because of how good our father is, that we're just in our father's arms, safe and secure, while everyone else is freaking out around us. While the pastor to the right is freaking out about the turbulence, we're just a baby sleeping, nestled up in our father. That's what he means when restore speech. Restored speech is a speech that calls out to God and trusts him and knows he's good. That is where God is wanting to take you. Whatever area in your life that God is wanting to lead you in repentance, wherever it is that he's saying, leave this part and come over here, the, the end game is that God is wanting to bring you to a place of restored speech where you call out to him, trust him, confidence in him. And the next one is he wants to lead us to a place, it was in this verse, but where we serve him with a single purpose. Where we serve with a single purpose. God is wanting to restore us to a place where we serve him with an undivided loyalty. That's part of what Zephaniah has talked about if you've been here the whole time is that there are people that say, I pledge my loyalty to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. I pledge my allegiance to him. He's everything. And I pledge my allegiance to this God and this thing that I want in my life. And I serve this. I serve success. I serve my comfort. I serve whatever other goals I have in my life. I serve my own pleasure. I serve the, the opinions of the people around me and the culture around me. I, I, sir, I have divided loyalty. My son's playing basketball, and the game that, one of the games, there was a, a kid, and at halftime they switched the baskets, but the kid from the other team shot the basket, so happy, yeah, and he shot in the wrong basket, and the ref was like, it counts, and the kid was like, well, at least I got a point, you know. <laughs> he was kind of happy because it was a good shot, but also like, I let my team down, but there's a divided loyalty. And sometimes we're playing for the other team, even if we're doing a good job. Sometimes we're doing a really good job at, at pursuing our other idols. We're doing a really good job at building a life. We're successful. We're pouring tons of energy and time and money into all sorts of things that might be good things, and yet they're not what God has for us. They're not the things that he calls us to. They're not an undivided loyalty to serving him. See, God wants to bring us to a place where we are making the right baskets. God wants to bring us to a place where we are serving him. Don't you want to be in a place where you know every part of my life is devoted to God? Every action, every dollar, every hour, every time is about him. It's connected to him. That's where God is wanting to bring us, a place where we serve him, a deeper meaning, a deeper love, not twisted up, not impure motives, and a removal of the guilt and the shame that we have. Here's the next part. From beyond the rivers of Cush, 
My supplicants, my dispersed people will bring an offering to me. On that day, you will not be put to shame because of everything you have done in rebelling against me. For then I will remove from among you your jubilant, arrogant people, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. It says, you will not be put to shame for all the things that you have done in rebelling against me. Zephaniah has talked about all these accusations that God has against us. All these um, verdicts against us. All of this judgment against us for our sin. You and I are sinful people. And when we sin, if we have a sensitive conscience, if we're listening to the Holy Spirit, then we feel, we sense some guilt and some shame. In some ways, it's like if you have a shirt and you get a big old spot on it. And we walk around with that, knowing I've done something wrong and it marks me. I don't feel good. I feel like I'm unclean. I feel like there's something wrong with me. And that might be for years of sin and patterns of sin. It might be just in a day when sometimes we know we've done something and then we just kind of feel, ah, I don't know how to get back to, to a right standing with people, with God. And we just have this guilt, this shame for what we have done. And he says, God is wanting to bring us to a place where there's no more shame. This isn't just that we don't do wrong anymore. It is that. But it's not just that we don't do wrong. It is a emotional experience of removal, of clean, of before God. God is... What's the opposite of shame? It is to be affirmed. It's to experience the cleanliness, the worth, the value. It's an experience where God says, you can stand before me and I say, perfect. God's wanting to bring us to that emotional experience. See, I don't know where it is that God's leading you in your life. I don't know where he's calling you to move beyond where you are to something that he has for you. But part of what he is leading us to is an emotional experience where we stand before him with no shame. We stand before him guiltless and clean and able not to feel that I've got to change something, prove something, work, but just I'm his. He's not ashamed of me. He's not ashamed of me. He wants to bring you to that place. And he wants to transform us. We read this part of, or actually it was in the other section, he said this opening part, for then I will remove from among you your jubilant, arrogant people. You will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. I will leave a meek and humble people among you. They will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will no longer do wrong or tell lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. Think about this picture of transformation. We talked about last week that the core of all sin is pride. The core of all sin is this arrogance, this haughtiness. And he says that he will transform from haughty, arrogant, and proud to being a meek and humble people that take refuge in God, which is a humility. That's a transformation. Don't you want to be changed? Don't you want to be transformed? Again, humility and pride are kind of the extremes and the, the end of, of everything else. But wouldn't life be better if there was more love in your life, more joy in your life, more peace and patience and kindness? This is a picture of total transformation from whatever pride is there to humility. There will no longer be wrong, no longer lies, no longer deceit. It'll be totally gone. There is a day coming when you will be totally transformed. I don't know about you, but when I think about the sin in my life and the struggles that I have, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. We sing in amazing grace, oh, that day, freed from sinning. I mean, it's, it's annoying. If you sin against somebody, you, you know, if I'm rude to my kids or rude to my wife and they're bothered by it, I'm bothered by it too. I'm just as mad at you as me as you are, however you say that. 
I, I don't want to be like this. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, when we are totally transformed. See, when we come to God, he is sanctifying us, which means that he is gradually, over time, changing us to be more and more like him. There's a day coming when that will be fully and 100% perfect, that you will no longer sin. There's a day coming when you will no longer have any pride, any arrogance, when you will no longer have any impure motives. There is a day coming when you won't struggle with those things that you go back to. There is a day coming. That's a beautiful day. I long for that day. I want that day. I really want that day for you. And I really want that day for me. When you're not annoying because of your sin, and I'm not annoying because of my sin, where we don't hurt people because of our sin, that's a beautiful day, right? Right now, we get glimpses of that as God is sanctifying us. And that's part of what he wants to do. Sometimes when we hear God's calls to repentance, it can feel like just, ah, you want to change me, you're mean, you're nitpicky, but God is wanting to transform you into a beautiful picture that in our truest self, if you're a Christian, you want, you want to be different. God is wanting to lead us there even now to be more forgiving, to be more patient, to get better over time, to not be like milk, but to be like wine, to just get better over time. Milk doesn't get better over time, in case you don't know, right? <laughs> wine gets better over time. God's wanting to lead us like wine to be that beautiful bottle. I'll stop with that illustration, but there you go. <laughs> and he leads us to a place of rest. The next part says, they will pasture and lie down with nothing to make them afraid. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Look how many times he says daughter too, this affectionate. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. To pasture and lie down with no more fear. That's the place God is wanting to lead us to, a place of rest. When can you lie down? When do you lie down? We're not normal. You're not lying down right now, right? Some of the babies are. But what, what, not like I think you're a baby, but actual babies. <laughs> Well, when, do you, when can you lie down? Uh, a lot of times on Sundays, it's over now, but a lot of times on Sundays after church, a lot of times I have a class after church, have a class after church, and then when all of that stuff is done, I'm able to lie down on the couch, turn on, we were reaching, recently, my kids and I, watching Boba Fett, watch Boba Fett, have a beer, just me, not the kids, have a beer, <laughs> eat some chips, just lie down, now I'm, now I'm resting. Now I'm, in, now I'm lying down in green pastures, right? That, that place where you're just at rest. Done. Not working anymore. Not afraid of anything. Just at rest. That's a beautiful place that God wants to lead us to. That's a place that wherever God is calling you, wherever he is wanting to direct you out of, whatever repentance he's calling to you, whatever heart posture where maybe there's coldness and he's wanting to warm you back up to him, wherever there's a lack of trust and he's wanting you to have confidence in him, whatever actions that you're doing in life that you have gotten so used to and so secure with and, and just feel like you've got to keep going that way, wherever that is that God's saying, I want to lead you here. God wants to give you rest where there's no more fear of harm. And listen, one day that will be 100% true when Jesus returns. Right now, though, with the coming of Jesus, he has defeated every enemy, like this says, that is against us. The ultimate enemies of Satan, sin, and death, if you are a Christian, now have no power over you. Even death, the worst enemy of all. Paul says, death, where's your sting? That doesn't mean we don't mourn and grieve when people we love die. 
But it means that for those that are Christians, death doesn't have an ultimate sting anymore. Because like Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because I'm ultimately led to now be with him. Every enemy against us, even your sin that Satan tempts you to, it doesn't have the power to condemn you anymore if you are in Christ. If you are connected to Jesus, he's already dealt with it. See, every enemy has been dealt with, and now he is wanting to lead us to rest. Where you have no fear. There's all sorts of idols that we have that we've talked about. And we fear having enough comfort. We fear having enough approval. We fear having enough success. We fear having enough status. We fear having enough acceptance from people. We fear having enough control of our life. All of these things where there can be fear. And he says, I'm wanting to lead you to a place of trust in me. You don't have to fear anything. You have rest. This is where God wants to take us. And then... It's interesting, in Zephaniah, it's one of the harshest books, one of the most intense books, which I also found interesting because several of you have told me how you love this series. You're a bunch of sickos. But this is, uh, it's, I'm just joking, but, but seriously. Um, it's, it's an intense book, and yet it's also got one of the most beautiful lines in the whole Bible. You'll see it in just a second here. This is the next place he's wanting to lead us. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. This is one of the most beautiful expressions of God's love and affection for his people that there is in the whole Bible. It talks about God singing over you. God rejoicing over you with gladness that God will, God is wanting to lead us to this place where he rejoices over you with gladness. That he, listen, that he, we sing songs to God, right? Every single Sunday. God sings to you. That's crazy. See, why not just say something? Why not just say it? Why are there times when we don't just say something, but we sing it? Why are there times in life? Think about times in your life when you have sung outside of church. It's pretty rare outside of church. I mean, in the shower, yes. In your car, sometimes you pull up to somebody and they're just like going, you know, and you're like, oh, you get it, man, you know. But it's rare that we sing, especially to another person. I mean, when have you sung to another person besides happy birthday? But the reason that we sing instead of say something is two things. One, when we are just overflowing with the emotion, when we ourselves can't contain it, that just speaking it won't do, that we have to sing it to them. That's why a lot of times it's love songs because you're just kind of infatuated with this person and you care so much about them and you're just like, I love you, baby, right? And you're just like, I gotta sing over you. I can't just say, I love you, baby. And if it's quite enough, I need you, baby. You've gotta sing it because it's overflowing in you. That's, that's how God feels about you. Sorry. That's how God feels about you. That's how God feels overflowing with emotion. And second thing, the reason that you might sing is because you are overflowing with emotion, but also because you want that other person to experience that emotion. You don't just want them to know it's true. You want them to experience it. You want them to feel it. And so you sing it to them. That is such a beautiful reality that God is saying right here. That he will delight in you with singing. There's so much emotion of delight that he has in you that he sings over you. And he wants you so much to feel it, not just to know it, not just to check on the box. Yes, God loves me. I know that. But he wants you to feel it. And so he sings over you. That's a beautiful thing. And in the context of judgment and death, 
and I will pour out your blood like dust and your flesh like dung. To move from that, if, you're, if this is your first week and you're like, what? Did he, did he, what did he just say? That's in chapter one. In the context of such judgment, to then move from that to this is beautiful. To say this is God's heart. This is where he wants to lead you. He doesn't want to keep us in a place of our sin. He wants to move us to a place where we fully experience the delight and the affection that he has for us. God wants to move you to that place. And it says this. He wants to move us to a place. I will gather those who have been driven from the appointed festivals. They will be a tribute from you and a reproach on her. Yes, at that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will make those who were disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time, I will bring you back. Yes, at that time, I will gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. The Lord has spoken. And this idea of giving fame and praise or honor among all the peoples isn't just that God is saying he's going to make you famous or that everyone's going to see how awesome you are, but it's that we will have a fame and a praise that gives honor to God. It's similar to 1 Peter that says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and they glorify God. They look at your life, they look at your fame and they look at who you are, but that praise gets directed to God because they're able to see who the God is that has restored these people. They're able to see who the God is that has changed these people, that has transformed these people, that has delighted in these people, that has brought them back from sin and destruction. They're able to see him. God wants to bring honor to you because that creates an honor to him. God wants to actually change and transform our lives in such a way that's not just individualistic, but that people are able to look at your life and see who God is. See, part of why God is calling you from where you are to where he wants to take you doesn't just have to do with you. It has to do with other people seeing who God is. God wants to change your life so that other people are drawn to him. Have you ever seen someone else's life that is following Jesus, that's walking with Jesus, that knows God, that is, that is humble, that's joyful, that's generous, or whatever different ways, and you go, I want to know God like they do. That's where God wants to take us. He wants to bring us to that place, and it's, it's everybody. That's another thing that this passage tells us, that it's all people. We already read these verses, but he says, from beyond the rivers of Cush, which was ancient Ethiopia, and he wants to gather the lame and the outcasts and people throughout the earth. It is a picture of God gathering all the nations. God brings judgment on all the nations. And God wants to gather all people from everywhere, from across the world, into his kingdom. Every kind of person. Those that were disgraced, those that are lame, those that are outcast. I don't know how you feel. You might feel awesome. This is for you too. But you might feel like an outcast. You might feel lame. You might feel like someone that's been disgraced. You might feel someone, I, I don't know. God says, I am bringing people from all over into my kingdom to form my family. This is why we care about our city, but it's why we care about the world. It's why even in our church that we give money to helping start churches across the world, particularly through churches in hard places where we're helping start churches in places all over the world that are hard places to do ministry in. In a couple of weeks, I'll be in Mexico and Colombia helping do workshops in those places with churches that we support through churches and hard places. God cares about all the world coming to him, all the world experiencing everything that we just talked about. So this is where God is wanting to lead us. Let's just come back. Where are you struggling to obey? Where are you struggling in your heart and closeness with God? Where are you evaluating right now? What's it going to cost me? What's it worth? What will happen? Where are you evaluating 
where God wants to take you. You see where he's leading you? Do you see where he's taking you? This is the picture. This is what he desires for us. Not mainly just to stop us from sinning, but to give us something better. That's where God is leading you. And listen, we will never repent. We will never return to God. We will never go where God is taking us if we think it's just that he's trying to stop us from something. That's not enough. But when we see this picture that he's calling us into an entirely different reality where there's an emotional experience and where our life can have single purpose and matter and where we can help other people and where we are changed and transformed and where we trust in him and have confidence and where we have rest and peace. And that's the vision of where God is leading you. That's where God wants to take you in every call where God is saying, I want you to repent. In every call where a Christian brother or sister says, listen, this is what God has for you when it's from his word. In every sermon, in every challenge, in every conviction, in every single time that God is saying, I want to lead you here. It's not because he's just saying, stop that, but because he has a beautiful vision that he's wanting to bring you into. That's where God is leading us. That's what he has for us. So much more than just no more sin. So much more than just a smooth life. It's a beautiful vision with a God that is wanting to lead us. This is what he has. The last thing, briefly, is how will God lead us here? How will he do that? We know he wants to lead us away from sin in its many different varieties. We know what he wants to lead us to. But how will he do that? Because maybe that sounds great, but especially with all the different judgment that he's already talked about, how is it possible? How is it possible to go from here to there, especially with all of the the condemnation and the verdicts that have been brought against us that we've seen in Zephaniah? And the truth is, we can't do that by ourselves. We can't move from here to here by ourselves, and we don't deserve to experience all that. We deserve all the judgment that he has already articulated against us. So how is it possible? And we see it in these lines that we read, that we need a king, we need a savior. And he said, the king of Israel, the Lord is among you. And the Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. See, we need this savior king that will come. A savior king that will come And bring God's justice while at the same time bringing all this mercy that we just talked about. We need a savior king that will come and gather the outcasts from all nations to himself. We need the savior king that will come and deal with shame and judgment. We need a savior king that will come and deal with every enemy. We need a savior king that will come. And that can be perfectly just and perfectly merciful at the same time. We need the savior king. And when Jesus comes, that's exactly what is announced. That the king of Israel has come. That God is with you, Emmanuel. God is with us. Do not fear, Jesus says. I will deal with the enemies. I will bring justice upon the cross. I will take every ounce of justice that should come to you and I will take it upon myself. And every ounce of mercy that you desire, I will give to you. We need the Savior King, and when Jesus comes, that's exactly what is announced at his birth and through his life, and we experience that on the cross and through his resurrection, and one day he will come and fully bring this to the world. When we take communion, we're remembering we have this Savior King, that on the cross his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us. If you didn't grab communion at the table on the way in, for those of us that are Christians, This is a time that we remember what our Savior King has done to take us from something awful and to bring us to something amazing. God is leading you. God is leading us. He wants to move us. Listen, what if you didn't stay where you were? What if you didn't stay where you were in action? What if you didn't stay where you were in heart? What if you trusted him and knew him and knew what he desires for you? What if together we were a community that continually returns to him? 
on a daily basis, on a seasonal basis? What if we kept coming back to him? This is what God desires for us to experience. And when we reflect upon what Jesus has done, we have a confidence to return over and over again. And listen also to call other people to that. Because we know we're not just trying to stop people from sinning. We're trying to call them into the beautiful vision that God has for their life. God wants us to return in action and in heart. So as you take communion, take a moment and pray and confess to God where you have wandered away from him in heart and in action. Confess the ways that you've disobeyed or not called on him or not trusted in him. Confess those ways. And ask him to remind you and to build your trust in what it is that he desires for you. Ask even as you take the body broken and the blood shed, ask that as you receive that you would remember You have a beautiful vision for me and you paid everything to give it to me. And then we'll do exactly what Zephaniah called the people to do, which was to sing and to celebrate. To say, because of what you've done, which is why in church we sing and celebrate, because of what you've done, we sing. We're thankful. So let's take a moment, talk to God, and then we'll respond. And if anyone would like prayer for healing or for any of the stuff that we've talked about, I'll be in the back. We'd love to pray for you. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy that we do not deserve and we could never earn, and yet that you freely give to us in Jesus, our Savior King. We thank you. Thank you that you are a good leader that desires to lead us to a good place. Forgive us for wandering from you, for thinking that we know better, for trusting in ourselves, for not trusting you. Forgive us and thank you that you do. Help us to go where you are leading us. Even right now, God, as people in their seats take communion and pray, Lord, would you speak? Would you lead? Would you direct? Would you... Let your comfort and conviction where necessary flood into our hearts to lead us to what you have. In your name, Jesus. Amen.